Well, welcome to Lesson 24 of the study of Galatians. We're closing in on the end of the study. I'm with you, brother. Somebody said to me this week, I don't know how Paul can say the same thing so many times over and over and over in one letter. It looks like we can finish this in about 30 lessons total, so we're not too far. And I've said before, one of the problems with a verse-by-verse study like this is maintaining context. And so for context, we're going to read, just read what we covered last week again. Verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Messiah has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Messiah will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Messiah. You have fallen away from grace. And so just by way of a very, very quick review, Paul tells the the Galatians that they are free from the yoke of slavery both of which he defined for us in the previous chapter. The slavery was the worship of the emperor in Rome, and uh, which the Galatians used to be a part of, and having to keep the commands and additions of the rabbis that did not apply to the non-Jews if they were circumcised. They would have to obey those things. If they let themselves be circumcised, which is shorthand for becoming halakhically Jewish, They, by virtue of making a vow, place themselves under the rule of the rabbis and the Sanhedrin. And what does Yeshua say about serving two masters? You can't serve two masters. So by placing themselves under the spiritual rule of men, they will have fallen from grace or the leading of the Spirit of God through their faith in the promised seed. And so Paul goes on today and he says in verse 6, But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Messiah neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so he tells them that if they continue in their faith, they will find the righteousness they're looking for and hope for. At the final judgment, they're going to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, you can only hear that if you've been a servant of the Most High. If you spend your life in service to something else or another, be it the spiritual leadership of the rabbis or the worship of the emperor, you are not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were not the servant of the Most High. You were the servant to someone else. And as Yeshua said, when speaking of money, no one can serve two masters. So then, speaking specifically of becoming circumcised, he says, in Messiah, there is no circumcision, or that of the nation of Israel, or uncircumcision, that of the nations of the non-Jews. Why? Well, because the promise says, through your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed doesn't make any difference where you're from. If you're in Messiah Yeshua, you are going to be blessed through Abraham's seed. And that's not the only place he says this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, he says this, Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. 
Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation God called him to. I don't know how we Christians can read this and think we can ignore the commands of God. It's beyond me to understand how anybody could think that. He says being Jew or non-Jew means nothing, but what counts is keeping the commands of God. And by saying each one should remain as he was when God called him, he's saying what counts is keeping the commands that God gave you. People continually make excuses for breaking the commands of God. And they say, because the Spirit told me this or told me that or gave me permission. Well, I got a Hebrew word for that. Baloni. What happens is the loud voice of the flesh and its desires drowns out the small, still voice of the Spirit. Paul tells us, all that really counts is faith and keeping the commands of God. And the only way you can keep the commands of God is through the Spirit of God. So let me ask you, is the Spirit going to contradict God or the laws of God? Absolutely not. Paul's point is one that I've made over and over in the study. No need to change and become like as the Jewish people, being responsible for the commands that you were never responsible for in the first place. No need to take on all the additional laws what Paul deemed the works of the law because God promised he would bless all the nations through Yeshua, the seed of Abraham. So remain as you are so that the world can see That he's not just the God of the Jews, but he's the God of the entire world. That he's not a God of wooden stone with eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. But he is the attentive God who keeps his promises, hears and guides his people through life right into the world to come. Part of how you do that is living as he commands. To live not by the commands of someone else. He says this next in verse 7. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you. And so he uses this metaphor that he uses elsewhere. One of running the race so as to receive the prize. And then he says, someone has come between them and the truth. You've been cut off and will not win the prize. And it's an excellent metaphor because in Jewish thought, how you lived out the Torah was described as halakha or how you walk. So a foot race is a perfect metaphor here. How you walk through life for Paul is simply this. There are two paths before you. Are you going to walk through life through the leading of the spirit of God? Or are you going to walk through the life through the leading of someone else? And it doesn't make any difference who the someone else is. It's still the wrong path. He says, you were running a good race. Your path was correct. You were following the leading of the Spirit. And then he says, who cut in on you? In other words, someone has come between them and the leading of the Spirit of God. You were running a race. And now usually when someone runs a race, the, the course is clearly marked for them. But often as you get more tired, you just follow the person in front of you. 
And so he's saying someone has cut in on you and you're not following God any longer, but you're following the one that came between you and God. You're on the wrong path. He says that the influences are cutting them off from the prize. And then he says that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you. Who called them? The spirit of God called them. So again, he's saying they're not following the leading of the spirit of God. And this happens quite often. Even today, this isn't something that's uh, that was uh, exclusive to the Galatians. It happens today. I have a little different way of saying that when I see someone going down the wrong path and they say the spirit of God told me I should do this or that. I say, well, I don't know what spirit you're listening to, but it certainly isn't the spirit of God. Not if it's telling you to to disobey God. Right. Verse 9 says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will make take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. And this is another great metaphor. Yeast in the Bible most often designates something that's not acceptable to God or sin. And Paul is saying... They are listening to someone who's teaching things that are totally unacceptable to God. And that this person's error or yeast is working through the whole batch, the whole congregation. In the first century, you just didn't go down to the store and buy yourself a little packet of yeast. You had what was called starter dough. You left flour and water out, it would eventually become sour, eventually gather enough yeast from the air And it would become leavened. It would be leavened dough. And so if you were going to make a loaf of bread, you'd take some of that leavened dough that you had left out to sour, just a small amount, and you'd mix that into freshly mixed flour and water, and it would leaven the whole batch of dough. Then they'd just add a little more flour and water to the leavened dough, mix it up, and it would keep that batch going. Well, Paul is saying the same is true here when it comes to the truth. You can have all truth, but if you add just a little bit of error, it begins to corrupt the truth that you have. And it doesn't make, it doesn't take much, just a little bit, like a little bit of that starter dough. And you know, often it's hard to tell the difference. You took a little bit of starter dough and put it here and a little fresh dough and put it here, all kneaded down, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. That's the way it is with error. It sounds good. Sometimes it sounds better than the truth. And that's why people fall away from the faith. You don't think that it happens all of a sudden that someone wakes up in the morning and says, Oh, I'm not going to be a follower of Yeshua any longer. Just happened overnight. It happens because they listen to just one small bit of error. And that, like the starter dough, begin to corrupt their whole belief system. Let me give you just a little example. You hear someone teach, hey, you know, the term the son of God should not be taken literally. It only means the king of Israel because the kings of Israel were called the son of God. And so you believe Yeshua was not the true son of God. And when they said that of Yeshua, it only meant that they saw him as the king of Israel. Well, after you believe that, then it's just a small leap to begin to believe that he really wasn't born of a virgin by the overshadowing of the spirit. 
And if you can get yourself to believe that, it's just another small step to think that he wasn't sinless like any other man. And so you start to doubt the value of his death, resurrection. And then on and on the slippery slope. And it all because just one small little bit of error entered into your belief system. And soon you've denied the Messiah and you're totally unacceptable to God. So Paul's metaphor of yeast here is perfect. And then he says, the one throwing you into confusion. And notice he uses singular here, the one. Why would he use singular when we already know there's more than one? Well, we might assume that they have a leader. And the leader is, of course, unknown. We don't know who he is. Some try to say, and some of the commentators said it was James. Well, we know that can't be because in Acts chapter 15, he perfectly agrees with Paul's stance. So we, we don't know, and probably in this life, we will never know who it was. But by using the singular, that there was one teacher who started all of this mess. You think about it. That's perfectly consistent with his metaphor. Just a little bit of yeast. Just one person. He says he's confident that the one throwing you into confusion is going to pay the penalty. You know, James sheds a little light on this. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Everybody wants to be a teacher, right? If you teach... You'd better be confident that what comes out of your mouth is true because if you lead others astray like the one in Paul's statement, there's going to be a heavy price to pay. I'll tell you what, that's why I as a teacher, I agonize when someone falls away if he's been attending here. I think, what could I have taught that would have led to this? Or what could I have taught differently that could have prevented this? And it hasn't happened uh, in, in many years, and if I remember correctly, I can only think of one person. But I'll tell you, when that happened, I was so devastated that I changed the way I taught completely. I went from just teaching Hebrew roots to making sure that Messiah was the focus of every teaching. So, so Paul knows there's a stiff penalty for those who lead others astray. And in verse 11, he says, Brothers, If I am still preaching circumcision, why is it I'm still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Now, that's kind of a hard statement, isn't it? You know, there are many and varied teachings on what Paul meant here. Some think that the influencers are pointing to Paul's inconsistency that he teaches Gentiles in Galatia no circumcision, but when he has a Jewish audience, he's teaching that Gentiles must be circumcised. And this is the position, really, of most of the Messianic commentaries I've read. I have uh, to include James Dunn, which you know how much I think of that commentary. It's a good commentary. The point to Paul's statement, they point to Paul's statement, to the Jew I became a Jew, and to the Greek I became a Greek, as proof I find that unacceptable because I would have to call Paul a hypocrite then, which I do not believe he was. And not just that, it's really hard for me to believe when I read Acts chapter 21 and verse 20, and it says this, when they heard this, they praised God and said to Paul, you see how many, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed all of them zealous for the law. They have been informed 
that you teach Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to the custom. Paul's message of no circumcision for the Jews was so consistent that people were mistaking his message to say that the Jewish people no longer had to circumcise their children. So not only was he not teaching that non-Jews have uh, circumcised, but many had taken him to be teaching that Jewish people no longer have to be circumcised either. And neither of those things were true. So I can't accept that understanding. It's far more likely that at one time, before the Spirit of God revealed the truth to him, he preached that non-Jews needed to become proselytes. Remember, that wasn't revealed to uh, Peter until Acts chapter 10. And it was really hard for Peter to accept. In fact, it took this extraordinary vision of a sheep being lowered down to heaven, from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on it, and then some extraordinary circumstances with Cornelius for him to even accept that because it was so ingrained within him. So it's far more likely that there was a time that Paul did not understand either. And it would have been just as hard for him to accept as well, maybe harder with his former education. But the important piece here again is he states, if circumcision, then the cross, or we could say the death and resurrection of Messiah, is void in the life of a proselyte, one who puts his confidence in those things rather than Messiah Yeshua. Verse 12, he says, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Wow. Glad I'm not one of those agitators. (laughs) But notice uh, the thing we need to notice that he, he says here, he puts it in the plural again, agitators. And I think we can assume that there is one teacher with a group of followers. And then he says something fraught with meaning. He says, I wish they would emasculate themselves. When we could take this to mean simply that he's saying, since emasculate refers to removing the reproductive capability, he simply wishes that their teachings would come to nothing and produce nothing. But it's far more likely that he's saying he wishes they would take themselves out of fellowship. If we go to the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, we find this command. It says, No one who has emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So this is rather a drastic statement to make, but we can we can gather from this statement. We can see Paul's frustration and his contempt for what they've been teaching, that he would say that he wishes they remove themselves from fellowship. And so with this rebuke, Paul now changes his argument to something positive. Right? Answering the next obvious question. If we're not to follow the works of the law, if we're not to follow the influencers and the sages, if we're not to keep the Torah as the Jewish people do, then how are we to walk through life? Right? And so he says, you, my brothers... We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, brothers, we were called to be free, free from the works of the law, 
to serve God. And I'm not going to delve into the freedom because we covered it last week. But Paul will now give the the Galatians a lesson in true Torah observance. And he says, the entire law can be summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's speaking of all the laws concerning the treatment of your fellow man. We know that because Yeshua already told us the greatest command was to love love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Now, by summing up all the commands of the Torah concerning your neighbor, he's saying that this is now, he's not saying that this is the only command now, as some have taken it to mean, and then they go out and practice loving their neighbor as they see fit, out of their own definition of love and loving themselves. I can tell you this, the fact is, there are plenty of people out there that I don't want them to love me as they love themselves because they don't love themselves. Right? So what is he saying? He's saying that all the commands of the Torah concerning the treatment of your brother teach you to do this one thing, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same thing Yeshua said, and it was common thought in rabbinic thought. And we find in uh, the Talmud that Hillel said this, He went before Hillel and Hillel said to him, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole Torah. While the rest is commentary thereof. Go learn of it. Hillel puts it in a kind of a negative slant on it. But we know Hillel would not uh, advocate uh, ignoring the rest of the commands. Neither would Yeshua or Paul. You know, and often people ask me, what of the Torah applies to me then? Well, you could start by reading and finding all the commands that serve that concern righteous, righteous treatment of your neighbor. How about that if for a good place to start? We could start with some of the big ten. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall get, not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet what your, is your neighbor's. And if we were to read on, we could find others. Deuteronomy chapter 10, love the aliens. Do not oppress the weak, Exodus chapter 22. Do not speak derogatory of others, Leviticus 19. Do not take revenge, Leviticus 19. Do not bear a grudge, Leviticus 19. Do not add to the Torah, Deuteronomy 13.1. And do not insult or harm anyone with words, Leviticus chapter 25. Those are just a few that I pulled out that fit with what's going on in Galatia. Now, if the rest of you want to know what applies to you, just go pray, study Torah, and learn of the others. And then you will love your neighbor as yourself, as God intended, not as some ridiculous idea that we might have. Right? When you start to use the law without the leading of the Spirit and without an inward focus, then everything you do and the way you keep it becomes the way and the only way. And of course, what does that lead to? Fighting and backbiting. It makes you self-righteous. And it's why there's so many factions in first century Israel. It's why there's so many denominations of churches today. Self-righteousness is the tool used by the adversary for division. 
And that is not Paul's attitude at all. He's not telling the non-Jews, get up and get out of there. Go start your own congregation someplace. He's telling them, obey the truth and live in peace with all men. Treat your neighbor as yourself. Friends, the Torah was not given to divide people. But the Torah was given to a community to keep community living together in peace. Hence, it can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And I've said this over and over. If you don't find community in the Torah, then you better read it again. It's all about community. And that community is, as Paul describes, the community that is in Messiah Yeshua. Love your neighbor as yourself is not something that you apply to others. It's something you have to take a hard look at yourself to fulfill. It does not say that you should expect your neighbor to love you as he loves himself. It just says you love your neighbor as yourself. Flaws and all. Right? Just as you love yourself, flaws and all. Well, maybe not because you don't see the flaws, but let me say they're there. It means if he makes a mistake and falls, you don't kick him when he's down, but you go help him up and brush him off just like you would brush yourself off if you fell. In contrast to loving one another as you love yourself, he says, he says backbiting and devouring one another. Like that of a wild animal. Maybe that of dogs, James, as James Dunn suggested in his commentary. Each fighting to be the alpha dog of the pack but i got a better one i got a better one and that's of chickens (laughs) no really if a chicken sees if a chicken sees what is an imperfection or an injury in another bird he and the other birds will go begin to peck at it and eventually kill the injured bird and that's what keeping Torah, not through the leading of the Spirit and self-application, will do to you. You'll see the imperfections and other begin to snap and bite and peck until you destroy the other person. Torah is God's manual given to you so that you can love your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua and his sacrifice was given to you so that you could forgive as he forgave. And when others don't treat you as they treat themselves, then by forgiving, you can go on and continue to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Isn't that simple? You know, in closing, I want you to think of how many times we've heard the words free or freedom. I can tell you because I counted them. (laughs) Eleven times in the book of Galatians, almost twice A chapter, an average of twice a chapter. For Paul, what the Galatians came out of and what the influencers are trying to place them under is slavery. And so he's telling us, you've been freed. You see, he keeps taking us back to his opening statement. Do you remember his opening statement? And I said, remember what I said about about verses 4 and 5? I said, well, now we understand Galatians. We don't have to go any farther. Let's read it again. He said, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Paul sees the Messiah Yeshua's redemptive work in the same light he sees the exodus from Egypt. Just as they were set free from the ruler of Egypt and then led to freedom to serve God through his Torah, Paul sees the Galatians being rescued as a done deal as well. He's telling the Galatians that they've been rescued. Not will be rescued, but they are rescued from the present evil age. Why? To serve God. Because what's important is keeping the commands. Remember in week two, we looked at this word for rescue and it meant to choose out from many. Meaning Yeshua has chosen you out. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, he's chosen you out for himself. Out from where? From the present evil age. And he did it because it was the will of the Father that you be chosen out of the age. It was the Father's command to Yeshua. The Father saw you before the foundation of the earth and he said, he needs to be rescued. And so he rescued you. You did nothing because there's nothing you could do. There's no way to save yourself. It was his will that you stand set apart from the present evil age. What was meant by evil, remember? Labors, hardship, disease, blindness, wickedness. He's rescued us from all of this. And not just in the coming age, which of course, you know, the Sabbath rest of God, the world to come. But we are rescued today. He doesn't say he gave himself so that we might be rescued in the future sometime. But he said he has rescued us today. And I love the way the book of Hebrews puts it. Chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter the rest, and since those who formerly had the good news preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David in a passage already quoted today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, as I said, Paul in the greeting really summed up. He's just been saying it over and over in different ways, over and over through the rest of the letter, but he really summed it up in verses 4 and 5. It was the will of the Father that Yeshua rescued us. He chose us and rescued us from the toils. It was the will of the Father that Yeshua rescue us from the toils, the disease, the blindness, and the wickedness of this present age. And that rescue starts today if you hear His voice and believe and walk steadfastly in that faith. You no longer have to strive in this world. You no longer have to convert to the ways of the Father. Be they the, be they the Jewish fathers, as with the Galatians, or with the church fathers, as with many Christians today. Because you made it through your faith in Yeshua. And because Yeshua has rescued you, you're not part of the kingdom. And what he's implying to the Galatians is, now walk in it. Just walk in it. Run the race. There's nothing left for you to do. It's a done deal. The fact is, you did nothing to receive this anyway. It was all God. It was all the will of the Father that you have been rescued. And it's a done deal. Yeshua has torn down the dividing wall. 
All the nations are blessed through him, Jew and non-Jew. So begin to walk as you will in the world to come because you've made it today if you hear his voice. Amen? Let's bring the worship team up.